This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mania. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumablet. And our topic this week is... Is our own personal review of Apple's TV Plus, The Morning Show. Cool, but first I have one item of follow-up. Uh, this is a- absolutely hilarious because it was a weird kind of coincidence uh, with our last episode, which was a, about Catalina and the 64-bit migration and also kind of about how Windows sucks at the 64-bit migration. Uh, in case I wasn't convincing enough in the last episode about Windows being a stagnant software platform, a Microsoft engineer who works on the .NET framework uh, last week tweeted about running C-sharp code on Windows 3.1.1, uh, 3.11. <laughs> It made me laugh so hard because not only is Windows super backward compatible, it's also super forward compatible, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so the way this works is you actually end up compiling your C-sharp code to native code. And then there is a weird Windows 3.11 feature that is kind of the opposite of uh, WoW 64, where it lets you run 32-bit code on a 16-bit operating system. I don't understand. Um, but in case wow. you even needed even more reinforcement that the real Windows is 32-bit, like, there you go. Uh, and speaking of WoW 64, I actually found out that WoW 64 is not the first WoW. Uh, I don't mean World <laughs> of Warcraft. I mean Windows on Windows. Oh, no. Yes, Windows on Windows was also the translation layer that allowed you to run 16-bit applications on 32-bit Windows. <laughs> Okay, so WoW is Windows 16 on Win no Windows 32 on Windows 16. No, it's Win 16 on Win 32. Oh wow! How confusing is that? Yes, man. Okay, Microsoft. Yeah, it's great. So um, yes, it, just but know I, I, that you'll be able to write code 30 years from now, and it's still probably going to run on a Windows 3.1.1 machine. <laughs> That, I guess that's good to hear, uh, to see. And, uh, the fun thing when you send me those tweets is the fact that I think the person, they wrote the code in Windows 3.11. Yeah, but I don't think you can actually compile it in that environment. Ah, but it was, it was fun to see a text editor open with a C sharp code on, uh, 3.11. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for my follow up for this week. So let's move on to the morning show. Good. So uh, as this, it is becoming more and more tradition, uh, Yannick and I this week will talk about something that is not related to tech, but surprisingly enough, this one is related to tech. So uh, as we've been teasing a lot in the past, I think two months, uh, we will be reviewing Apple's TV Plus The Morning Show. Um, and I think this episode will follow the typical format, I guess we have for those episodes where we review things. Well, we'll start with... Uh, a small introduction, maybe setting you up for this. Um, I guess maybe to even, uh, if you haven't watched it, maybe to uh, introduce you to the show and maybe make you pause the podcast, then go watch it and continue so that we can move into the spoiler section where we will talk about some uh, some specific details. Uh, knowing that this is a TV series and there is this one is not that long for the first season, so it's 10 episodes of about an hour to 75 minutes, depending on which uh, episode, so... We have 50 to 65 to 70 minutes, excuse me. That would be the appropriate time. Which episode is 75 minutes? I didn't remember that at all. I thought the last one was like an hour 15. Really? I didn't notice. Okay. Uh, but I recall most of them are around maybe 55 to 65. But I, I recall the last one was a bit longer. So maybe I'm misremembering the... Uh, duration of each episode but yes they're the typical like one hour show without 
without any ads because it's on a streaming service. So it is literally not the 44. It's like really an hour. Uh, but yeah, so first part will be where we talk a bit generally without spoilers about the show, a bit of his uh, plot with without spoilers, uh, kind of to give you a tease if you are listening to our voices without having watched it. Then we'll move into the spoiler section uh, where I think Yannick and I will mainly discuss some events that we feel that is important regarding the themes of the episode and they relate to each episode, but we won't really do kind of an episode per episode uh, thing. So I guess sorry in advance if the way we relate events is more about like the one we liked or the one we have opinions about or the one that we felt that was like, oh, that was maybe badly done and less uh, the chronological order of the episodes. And last but not least, I guess we'll have our opinion. And I also want to talk about uh, quickly but surely because uh, Yannick, I haven't watched too much, but I also want to talk about other Apple TV Plus shows. So let's jump into the first section where we tease you about or we try to make you watch it if you haven't watched uh, the morning show. So before we talk about the uh, real like kind of plot of uh, the show, I kind of want to talk about the show itself. Uh, so that show has been teased on since the launch, uh, since the announcement, excuse me, of Apple TV, and even before uh, in the big rumors that Apple was moving to the streaming. Uh, it was creating its own streaming service. I recall that it was the big show. We knew that uh, Apple was teaming up with uh, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, and with especially with uh, Reese Witherspoon's production house uh, to build this show. And we would know that it would be a big budget show, and that there would be a lot of a lot of uh, known faces. I already mentioned two, uh, but we also have like. Billy Crudup, and I will talk later more. Mark <laughs> Duplass. So there's a lot of known faces in, and especially Steve Carell. I was about to forget. Uh, and uh, this is a big budget TV show, and it was kind of being set up by Apple and by, I guess, the rumors around Hollywood and TV industry, saying like this is going to be the like of here's what Apple wants to set as I would say as a tone of their streaming service. You might recall that before we've seen any shows, there was a lot of rumors slash drama about Apple's, even like Tim Cook and Andy, uh, and uh, what was I about to say? Eddie Cook, but... Uh, <laughs> Eddie Q. What? Thank you. Uh, yes, Eddie Q. I was also uh, banking out on Eddie's last name, but Eddie Q's involvement into the production of the show and especially... I will use the word censorship, but maybe kind of like management direction. They, they they were kind of like giving a couple of notes and there was a lot of rumors around that. And I think at this point, even with the shows, a couple of about 10 shows that has been released since November, it is unclear if that really happened. But uh, as we will, you will hear today, um, you'll see that some of the complaints where Apple wanted to be like family friendly, uh, want to make sure that their streaming service is for everybody, that does not really apply to the morning show. There's a lot of uh, strong language and there, is, there are strong topics involved, especially in the morning show and also in other of their shows. I think another good example, I haven't watched it but I heard a lot, uh, either white people on the internet or even uh, Tony watched some of it. But the show C is quite violent. Uh, so 
Uh, I would say, for example, the morning show, if you were expecting it to be a drama, but not, uh, it would be a drama, but not too, like, an, I guess, adult focus, I would say. And I'm not talking about nudity here, but just like adult themes. Uh, this is like, like completely the inverse. Uh, the morning show is a drama and it is uh, attacking like adult problem, like right on. And then you'll see why when we go into the spoiler section. I want to jump in here with two things. First of all, on the note that um, Tim Cook and ADQ were interfering with creative production of these you shows. You mean Eddie Cook? Sure, whatever. Uh, Tim Apple and Eddie Cook. Oh, Tim Apple. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like, specifically the rumors that came up around that, were, I believe were about a documentary about Dr. Dre that were being produced for, like, it was still ambiguous if it was Apple Music or Apple TV+. Plus. I believe eventually that documentary ended up going to HBO or something like that. I remember hearing about it on Beats 1 or something. Um, so hmm. that show never actually made it to Apple TV+. Plus. And I believe those rumors even date back as far before like they even had... Um, I don't remember the names of the people that they hired to actually run Apple TV Plus, but basically those people, I believe those rumors predate those people being hired by Apple. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that their involvement in Apple TV Plus completely changed what Apple TV Plus was planning to be. Or if this was always targeting Apple Music, then like, who knows? Like that could be in somebody else's camp and they just didn't want to have this like really rough hip hop drama going on, which at the same time is kind of like, are you trying to sugarcoat hip hop in the nineties? Like it's not going to work because that's not how it was. Yeah. And especially if you contrast that with uh, what I like to call these days, Apple TV plus uh, beta or all the TV shows they release on Apple music. Uh, while they were not the best uh, shows ever, uh, they were still like family friendly. I think this um, app story, what was the name of app? The, the, the stupid Tilly reality show about uh, Planet of the Apps. Planet of the Apps. Yeah. Uh, was, you know, it was a Tilly reality show about building apps. So, or building business about, around uh, building iOS apps. So, yeah, I, I guess you can consider that family friendly. And the other one is uh, car uh, Carpool Karaoke. That is literally like family friendly. Like, you're like, it's the typical like, 0 to 99 years old. Everybody can watch it. There, there's nothing. It's more or less like comedy, having fun, like people singing in cars. So uh, those could uh, feel to me they were assumed. And I wouldn't be surprised that after those two, they were like, yeah, we want to stay around this, uh, not genre, but kind of this type of content. But let me evolve it with a bit of comedy, drama, sci-fi, but still make it available. And the Sony people came and then they were like, hey, if you want to be successful, you need to be brave and be brave like netflix hbo and and everybody else yeah but yeah i, I think like there are other uh, documentaries and concert films on apple music and it's kind of amusing and also at the same time kind of unfortunate that they've sort of stuck towards like pop stars and bubblegum things that are not going to offend anyone uh where that basically like rules out a lot of hip hop culture and all of that stuff, which like given how influential hip hop is as a genre on modern music, like it feels like it seems like a huge oversight. But if they're like judging in their head, like Apple Music is a family friendly brand, and this is where we're going to have this kind of stuff. Like I think at the end of the day, like I think those rumors might have applied to Apple Music and not necessarily to Apple TV Plus, and they also predate these people. So I think. A lot of what people assumed Apple TV Plus was going to be turned out not to be true because of those rumors being 
badly contextualized, let's say. The second thing I wanted to bring up was that, um, yeah, leading up to the introduction of the show and the actual, like, proper launch of the show, for a while it was, like, just, like, commonly believed by people who were following uh, the story of Apple TV+, Plus that the morning show was going to be a comedy, m more or less because Steve Carell was involved. And... Like, that could not be more far from the truth. Oh, wow. I, I, oh, man, it's something I forgot to do. But I would, I really wanted to, maybe I can do that uh, a little bit later in the show, but to look at uh, Steve Carell's filmography and see if he did uh, some more. Yeah, it's funny. Oh, okay. And I guess Wikipedia is answering my question because there's there's two categories. There's like comedic role from 2004 to 2013, and there's more there's dramatic role 2014 to present. So it seems that is, uh, Steve Carell is, uh, tackling more drama and more, uh, different where, yeah, different type of either TV shows or films, uh, compared to where he gained fame to, and which is, is with a lot of, uh, comedic, uh, movies and series. Uh, I would say, uh, most people know him from, uh, of course, The Office, uh, also from Daily Show with uh, John Stewart. He was a correspondent there, uh, and lots of comedic movies. 30 Year Old Virgin is him. Yes, that is true. Uh, and, ah, oh, there's one, I forgot the name, but there's, uh, he does a bunch of voice stuff for Despicable Me. Right, but there's one with Tina Fey that is so funny that is, uh, they're Rock? kind of, no, it's a film. But of oh. course, I would remember Dirty Rock. Bridesmaids? But no. Uh, but I'll, I'll figure out the name I'm again. I'm not but a movie uh, guy, so I'm no help no, here. No, but it's it, it is a it's more or less a couple that are assumed to be uh, spies, but they're just a normal couple, and they, they their date is ruined. It is just crazy because Steve Carell and uh, Tina Fey make for a good funny uh, duo. So that is a good point that you bring up. Uh, People assume that having Corel, it will just be him doing crazy things and crazy funny things. And no, oh my, this cannot be farther from the truth. So while setting that tone, uh, you might want to know what's I what is the plot of The Morning Show. Uh, as in name suggests, uh, The Morning Show, which is a TV morning show called The Morning Show by a kind of my goodness, I'm always looking for the word. So by a TV network called a UBA. Uh, this is uh, no representation of any. It's like really a fictional uh, TV network. Um, but this uh, TV network has the show, uh, the morning show, and it follows Alex Levi and as her, as being the co-host or, or the core anchor uh, person of uh, TMS, while uh, Mitch Kessler is fired because of sexual misconduct. And that's how the TV series starts. Uh, Alex, who's uh, the character that uh, Aniston plays, she has to announce uh, like live on TV that her partner in crime for the last 15 years on this TMS show is getting, is was fired, excuse me, not is, it was fired. And the reason is I guess, serial sexual misconducts for more or less those 15 years. Uh, and Alex and all of the uh, TMS uh, employees navigates through that plot in 10 episodes, which bring them with a lot of topics of revenge, uh, I guess, jealousy, uh, also uh, feeling, I guess, 
entitled to some of uh, of some of the movement in her career. Uh, lots of surprisingly adult plus childish teams at the same time, which is uh, which makes the, the morning show a good drama show in my opinion. But we'll keep that too much for the end. Anything else you want to add about the kind of introduction or maybe a bit about... Uh, I'm sure we'll bring some of it uh, a bit more uh, during the spoiler section, but about uh, Apple TV Plus and its introduction of the morning show. I want to bring up two concerns I had about the show before going into it. Uh, and this is more or less in case people are listening to this not having seen the show or have stopped midway listening to the show. And happen to share my concerns, uh, because I can sort of maybe reassure you since I've seen the whole show. So the first thing is, I had some doubt that a show that was more or less like explicitly about the Me Too movement was going to reach the people who needed to see it most. Uh, saying that your show is about the Me Too movement limits the audience to people who already care about that issue. Uh, so, like, other examples from the world would be, like, there probably aren't as many white people watching the show Dear White People on Netflix as there are African Americans, even though the show is ostensibly there to get white people to learn about issues facing uh, African Americans and to question their own behavior with regards to race relations. Uh, like, another example that we see a lot is with transphobia on the internet. Uh, you can tweet your 4,500-word medium post about why everybody is being transphobic as much as you'd like, but the people that you're aiming with that post overwhelmingly aren't going to click on it because they either feel justified in being transphobic or because they don't think their behavior is transphobic to begin with. And, like, I don't have a good answer for this. Like, I, I was thinking for a while, like, trick people into watching your show by not making your message such a big part of the marketing push. But at the same time, like, it's so in your face throughout the entire show that it is hard like people would drop off anyway if they felt like they were weren't going to watch the show so like this i feel is not addressed by the show um and you just have to go into it knowing that the second thing is uh we knew before this show even aired that part of the plot was that mitch kessler was going to complain about being unfairly lumped in with actual bad guys I am not going to spoil anything in this, but I was just like skeptical that Steve Carell's character would be portrayed in an overly sympathetic way that would make him seem undeserving of what is happening. Uh, and like the easy 2019 parallel to make with this is the Joker movie. Uh, one of the things that came up a lot during the Joker movie launch was people were worried about a sympathetic portrayal of a homicidal maniac. Like you don't want to tell people that a certain amount of traumatic events justifies being a monster in society. And failure to convey uh, these kinds of things can so send the wrong message to people who see parts of themselves in those characters. And I feel like Steve Carell's history as a comedic actor, and specifically his role in The Office, uh, may have intensified this issue. Uh, a lot of the jokes on The Office haven't aged well and make for awkward movie, <laughs> uh, for awkward viewing in 2020. Uh, there is some weird racist shit. There is some weird sexist shit. Uh, and all you see is Steve Carell, it's super easy to project the Michael Scott image onto Mitch Kessler before you watch the show and make your own conclusions based on that completely wrong assumption that they are one and the same character. And they do share like tiny elements. Um, what I would say to people who are hesitant, hesitant to watch the show or 
have stopped watching the show because of their worry that it was going to be portrayed in a weird way, uh, you should just watch the show in its entirety instead of judging it by its cover. But obviously, I can't elaborate much more than that without risking spoilers. Uh, so that's all I had to say before we go into the spoiler slot. That is a fair point. Uh, one thing I want to add on top of it is, yes, I think at first I was part of the people like, oh, their Steve Corral is going to be funny. And then we're like, oh, no, it's a drama. And, you know, remember this uh, March event where they were just having people talk about it? And then you would see that uh, Corel, uh, Witherspoon, and Jennifer Aniston, they were talking about the show, but they kind of were hinting that, no, no, it's A, it's not going to be a funny show. B, it's going to be, at moments, quite dark. And C, lights, you will like it. So I'm like, okay, you know. And then they dropped the first trailer, and I was like, literally hooked. And then I guess you realize one of the first thing is like this Mitch Klesser character is something, a big a-hole for sure. Uh, but you discover that throughout the uh, season and then we'll discuss it even more. Uh, last but not least, uh, this TV show also has uh, really strong topics that could affect people that have different experiences that Yannick and I. So I would say that... Uh, I'm trying to find to choose my words lightly, but um, if you have maybe uh, past events that make you really uh, anxious or even like like really really affected by the B2 movement, I would say that maybe the morning show it could be bad for you because it might make you relieve some bad moments. So uh, there's specific section in this episode where I would feel that. Uh, uh, it could uh, create some PTSD um, moment for people. So uh, there's some episode that you really need to take, uh, like maybe skip or maybe just go read on the internet because some episodes are quite heavy. And then again, I will discuss it in the spoiler section. That's why I'm staying stay vague. But uh, like there's even episodes I was like literally like, uh, oh my effing God, after watching them, it's like, a, they're well made and everything, but oof, they're like dark and heavy on your soul, uh, on your soul. So yeah, uh, if you want to stay on the careful side, I would strongly suggest that maybe go read, like, go spoil yourself by reading a summary of them on the internet, uh, and then maybe watch it if you feel safe to do so. But first thing first, everything I, I want you to stay safe, uh, knowing that the action is attacking some dark and big. Uh, teams and of course we're going to be talking about those themes in the latter half of the show so if you're not necessarily in the greatest state to watch the show probably shouldn't keep listening to the episode as much as we'd love for you to keep listening right i'm sure next week we'll have something for you oh i'm sure we will <laughs> good i guess this is a moment where we'll say after the song after the dong after the clip audio clip uh we will enter the spoiler I was about to say the spoiler-free zone, but the spoiler-full zone. Yannick, are we in a spoiler-full zone? Yes, we are. Good. I'll let you choose which part or which uh, event of the season you want to discuss first. Yeah, so I think we're just going to continue on the theme of sympathetic portrayal of Mitch. I think it might have been an intentional decision to make it seem like there would be a uh, sympathetic portrayal of him in the show. Uh, 
for the first half of the show or so, it's not entirely clear what went down at all. And he talks about like his scandal being unfair and everything. And you can't really tell if he's justified in feeling those things, those things. And at the same time, like uh, very early on, Mitch is portrayed sort of like the dad of the TV family, right? Uh, Jennifer Aniston, Alex is uh, the mom of the TV family, Mitch is the dad of the TV family. And they're sort of like this, this thing that brings harmony to the households of America, right? The, the TV family that does the morning show. And he's like generally lovable and everything. Um, And, the unfortunate thing is like sort of that character type. It's really easy to project a less caricatured Michael Scott persona on this guy. Uh, Michael Scott being what's his name? Steve Carell's uh, <laughs> primary role on the office. We've had a hell of a night, by the way. Uh, yeah, to our yeah, listeners. Yeah. I've had to run halfway across the, the neighborhood to go record elsewhere. It was nuts. So yeah. Yes. At least now I won't look too bad in this part of the recording because now uh, you explain me your friends. Yes, because on the previous recording, you didn't know who Michael Scott was, which was kind of an issue. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, because of that, like, because he's got little teensy weensy bits of Michael Scott in there, like, it's easy to project Michael Scott onto him uh, and sort of take his side because Michael Scott is a super lovable character, even though he does some slightly problematic things. Uh, and this is not who you're dealing with on the show. The second half of the show is really about getting into the details of exactly what happened and how the victims and Mitch's viewpoints on what happened differ. And they differ greatly, it turns out. And it's funny that you mentioned that because, first of all, I finally found the movie I was talking about, Date Night, with uh, Corel and Tina Fey. And you kind of see, especially, in, I think to me, this is kind of a typical still Corel, uh, like comedy, comedic movies, uh, where, where he plays kind of uh, the dad of a family, but he's kind of this cheesy, dad jokey type of dad. And I, I can understand where you were. Why, I don't know, I was a bit like that, that I was afraid that like, when we learned that it was a drama, that it was like, okay, it was drama, then he's kind of the bad guy of that drama, but then he's the whiny, the whining bad guy, like, oh, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, uh, and that, that started weird, I'll be honest, but before they start to explain the backstory, because you'll see that, um, we're in spoiler sections, so I can say that, the first, let me go quickly, the first seven episodes are more or less the fallout of him getting fired. Then episode eight is literally, oh, we go back to previously where everybody's happy, everything is okay, like Mitch and Alex are on, uh, on TV playing the, this kind of like, uh, like morning show couple, and then they're like charismatic on TV, and then everything goes to shit. And we really understand what happened, and we do understand clearly that first it is not like a one-time thing as it as we see these days is kind of i would say typical of the uh, of these people that it's not like oh i did one mistake i'm so sorry no it's like recurrent it's part of their i would say part of personality part of the persona they've been doing that for years uh like, like kind of abusing of their power uh and abusing of their popularity and this episode really sets the tone of, you know what, like, this guy is just whining because he doesn't want to lose his success. But there's one and one person to blame, and it's him. And he's literally 
I think it's hard. I would say like he loves himself too much to say it's his fault. Like that's the the type of character he is. Like because he is where he is at right now because of himself, and he's not even able to realize that. And to me, one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, this guy is such a mm, like it's such a big ale is when uh, he is. Oh my goodness, I'm trying to find it. Yes, he's talking about a wit. Uh, Dick Lundry, which is yes. uh, is Sinead's <laughs> friend, who is portrayed by uh, Martin Short. Yes. Uh, amazing actor. And you start to understand that he's an old-time friend, a bit older than uh, than uh, Mitch Kessler uh, in the show itself. And I think the actor are more or less the same age. But you understand that uh, Lundry is kind of their uh, Weinstein in this universe. It's kind of one of the big first people that got uh, uh, that got like accused and then uh, like, kicked out of public life, and even uh, Kessler compare himself to him, saying, "You know, you're a basket case. I am not." And the first because that happens in the first few episodes when you first uh, meet uh, meet his friend, and the the other guy like takes it really bad, like. What do you mean? Um, you're like I am bad, and you're not. Like we more or less did the exact same thing. Right? Like we're like bunch of asshole that is addicted to sex, and then assumes that we can uh, take ownership of anybody's anyone's body. Like we do the same thing. So why are you trying to say that you're a lesser than me, and then that you're post me too, and blah blah? And that's that's to me the first instance where you realize no 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 no. no. He's trying to play elite. This is the typical of of like. People accusing people of playing the victim. That's what this guy is doing. He's like literally playing the victim. And the only person that could be blamed for all of this is himself. And then you see that uh, another moment where again, uh, in the episode when you go in the past, you see again uh, Dick Lundry. And then you see that those guys, like they like women. And they joke about this. And it's kind of a bit like, kind of, not, not a bit, it's quite creepy when they do that in the, in the past episode. Yeah, and it's become so integrated into, like, their lifestyle and routine that to them, it's like, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. It's just like, well, this is just a part of my life, and it's normal, and it's what I do. And the culture sort of reinforces that, where, like, people are like, well, Mitch is Mitch, boys will be boys, and it keeps happening. And they sort of let it happen until it sort of goes over a certain threshold, and then it's like, no, we're, we're killing him. Another way where I feel it is reinforced is episode number one. So Alex has to announce that her 15-year-old co-host is getting uh, got fired because of that. And at the end of the episode, uh, Mitch announced that you know you were about to get fired. Like, and then people like uh, the two uh, the two um, like upper management. So you have uh, Fred Micklin, which is UBA's president, and you have uh, Corey Ellison, which is a UBA uh, executive, uh, that he took over from the news operation, uh, but he was, uh, su- I, I think, a successful, and it's kind of implied that he was a successful uh, UBA executive on the networks entertainment division. And I guess from his success, he's like, go manage this shit storm, more or less. And they're like, they're trying to get rid of Alex. And the reason why they're trying to get her get rid of her to me sounds typical cable tv but at the same time in a tv show where they're talking about like literally like 
social sexism, I could call it this way, like the, the way that sexism is so ingrained in our culture, like the reason why they're trying to get rid of her is because her likeliness number, like the, or it's, I forgot how they called it. Her popularity uh, rating, customer sat? Right, <laughs> right, right. They, uh, more or less customer sat, but they have like a, I think it's, it was, they said likeliness or likely number. The fact that she was likable, more or less. Like it was going down like rapidly. And it is implied throughout the season that the reason people don't like her is because they're they're like, oh yeah, she's not the the witch middle aged woman. It's boring. I'm like, what? Mitch is also the rich middle aged man and he's as boring as her, but no, because society do that. But there there's a point I want to bring up about this, which is Alex comes across as incredibly cold in the dynamic of well the entire show to be honest she's like the ice queen in many ways and you can see mitch as sort of being the other half to that equation which is like he's the goofball like uh well he's the hot to her cold right he's the guy Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah who brings the situation down a bit and they have a very good balance together where things sort of get hairy is when he's out of the picture because he did some naughty things and then she's by herself and eventually Bradley Jackson is introduced and she just like she looks incredibly ice queen in that thing and I think first of all Jennifer Aniston plays that extremely well (laughs) she is incredibly good at it sometimes I was thinking if it was a bit too natural if you see what I mean yeah yeah. meaning that she's not playing Alex Levi she's just playing Jennifer Aniston playing Alex Levi playing uh, Jennifer Aniston so I'm not saying like Let's be honest, Mrs. Anderson, we don't know you, but that was, like, perfect. Like, you're a good ice queen, that's for sure. Yeah. And at, at first watch, I didn't watch it completely two times. I kind of, like, to prepare for this episode, we watched a couple of episodes, like, just, like, a couple of portions of the episode. Um, and especially when I'm preparing my notes about Alex, yes, she's an ice queen, and then in some of her meltdowns, because, like, you see, like, raw Alex rarely throughout those 10 episodes like she's always like kind of defending herself or but not excusing what she's a bit she's like, always a kind of a like a wall in front of her to protect herself and you learn and form a lot of stories told by different women they're forced to do that to be successful right because of people like mitch kessler literally and when when the wall breaks and you see a glimpse of maybe of not realness, but our more natural er, she does explain, like, hey, the reason why I'm fighting for this show is because, like, the boys are being boys, and I don't want to lose that because they're just being dumb fuck. Like, I work so hard, I kind of played the boy, or the girl part of the boys club, and she mentioned that at some point, just for me to be where I am, and I don't want to lose all of this because they literally did their stupid shit. And at first, when you when you just like take her own word, when because she rarely says that because she's always like kind of wall protecting her, you do feel that she's more or less like a rich lady just complaining that she's going to lose our seaside apartment in New York City that costs millions, and that she won't be able to pay and she won't be popular no more. But then you realize, no, the reason why she's so feisty and she wants to defend that is because she literally worked her ass off and literally her own daughter is even even throwing that in her face like she neglected her own fucking family 
to be where she's at, her own marriage. And that's part of one of the uh, moments where she has a complete meltdown is when her separated husband now announced that he wants a divorce and make it official. Like, her daughter goes really like, it's your fault that dad wants you to di- wants to divorce. Like, it's because you always thought about yourself and then you realize, no, no, yes, of course. But at the same time, she had to work her ass off like 10 times more than all the other people around her to be where she has at. And now, with the fear that everything is crumbling down, she like, is losing it a bit, sadly. Yeah. And I think that's what makes her charm. Yeah, there, there's an interesting parallel, right? Because you, you look at Mitch and Alex and... Both of them are kind of at risk of losing their entire careers uh, to a certain degree. Like uh, the Mitch angle, of course, is like Mitch went and had a little bit of too much fun with uh, the rest of his staff uh, and sometimes pushed the boundaries a little bit too much. uh, And he lost his job and he's worried that losing his job because of these actions will cost him his entire career. And it's like, like his sort of portrayal of it as unfair and all of that is like under the scenes. It's like clearly like they're trying to address cancel culture in some, at some degree. Um, and the thing that's interesting about like cancel culture, when it's portrayed by celebrities that are afraid of losing everything after there's some kind of scandal is that like, no matter how much they act like it exists, uh, people get away with their shit. Look at the president of the United States who has said like uh, too much bullshit to count. Uh, and he somehow still has a job and somehow still has the approval of his voters, which is fucking insane. Uh, you have uh, people like, let's say PewDiePie who goes on YouTube and says anti-Semitic things. And then when people call him on it, he like doubles down and makes like even worse jokes about it because like, Oh, it's just a joke guys. It's like, and there are like no consequences for him either. In fact, he sort of got like refocused on in the latest YouTube rewind and all that shit. And this is why I don't really try to pay attention to YouTuber culture because it's terrible. Uh, it's kind of insane. And like Mitch is afraid of losing everything. But like if we're being realistic and if the patterns continue to go as they are right now, uh, two or three years from now, he's going to have some sort of redemption tour and he's going to be back on the air and everyone will act as if nothing happened and he might still be up to the same shit behind the scenes. Who knows? Uh, And then you've got Alex, who is also afraid of losing everything in her thing just because she was at risk of being fired because she's whatever, like too cool on the air or whatever. But she actually has a lot more to lose in reality than Mitch does, even though Mitch is the one with the scandal. Which is interesting. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. It's a very cool imbalance there. Oh, totally. Well, and I not, think not necessarily cool, but you know what I mean. It's yes. interesting for the story, not good. <laughs> yes, and that's. I think that's really where the drama lies. Um, you have this imbalance where you kind of know that if her career goes kaput, uh, she won't be able to make uh, in three years uh, like a I'm sorry tour, and then it will be forgot because they forgot, right? Um, and then contrast to that, if we go with the other uh, okay, main character of the show, you do have uh, you do have Bradley Bradley Jackson Jackson. Yes, I'm trying yes. to find the la- our last name. So you have Bradley Jackson, which uh, I think the best way to describe her is she is kind of a like middle America local field reporter, and she has her own viral video, and that's why like I like. To me, what happened to her being like, okay, not the fact that she's a local 
field reporter uh that's she's a journalist but more like that somebody goes viral and then they're at, they're asked to go to on national tv to me like that ring the bell like i'm sure you, we can even <laughs> turn on like, quebec tv news and those quebec morning shows and then have the same thing even if it's on a small scale so that to me was like surprisingly uber realistic that somebody blowing out on twitter and youtube and then now they're like oh everybody all the tv news channel they want them to be on their morning show because you know what that's what they do these days a friend of mine literally last week took a video of a chicken laying an egg on a car and the next day she had like 50,000 notifications on Twitter and like DMs from like every Japanese TV station <laughs> in her. and she's not even from Japan which is kind of weird uh oh wow but yeah like that shit like that happens and it sort of even like to a smaller degree happened to me a couple of years ago when I went to Japan and there was uh 3 days in a row there was a 100% snow uh forecast and I took a photo of it and I posted it and I swear for like 2 months my Twitter notifications were unusable because they were just like faves and retweets from people who thought that was funny um so imagine something with like actual political implications and i can see it blowing up to like epic proportions uh i this is sort of the point where i want to get on my soapbox and talk about people who say that reese witherspoon is too old for her role as bradley jackson (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah because i've heard it too much and i'm not happy about it so i feel like there are like two things underlying these kinds of comments the first thing is uh people tend to view outspokenness on like progressive issues like the environment or feminism or all that stuff as being something that is primarily associated with young people and i think there is a certain aspect of the Bradley character that's incredibly resonant as a character for like politically minded okay boomer millennials right oh yeah and there's a moment when she goes live on tv for the first time where she talked about uh the stupid shit she does as a teen and then she talks about her the abortion she had and then literally like you had uh fred that is freaking out and then you have cory is like oh my god all the pro-choice twitter is happy <laughs> so who cares <laughs> Yeah, and like it, it turns out, like if you look at um, studies about how millennials consume media and specifically like YouTube and all that stuff, like we tend to value uh, authenticity and being genuine a lot, lot more than people previously used to, where they would want like these professional facades, like whoever the anchor person on the news is. Uh, and I think Bradley Jackson is an incredibly good character. Uh, for people who look for authenticity in characters because like that is increasingly what politically millennials are about but on the other hand there's like the flip side to that coin which is like there are also like plenty of 40 year old women like uh like uh reese witherspoon who share the same views as the young ones and are outspoken about it they just somehow never show up in the media we consume uh it's like a character you don't see very often and now we're seeing like people complaining about it because they're not used to seeing that kind of character when in reality like i think there should just be more of those kinds of characters in media so that's like part one and the part two is people think that she should be further along in her career at this point in her life and it's like hmm have you really watched regional news because i feel like regional news jobs have like incredibly low turnover that is like observable in real time by watching the goddamn news (laughs) no that's true i there are people who are anchoring the regional news here in Trois-Rivières that have been anchoring it since I've been like five years old. And yeah, oh, yes. 
they're not going anywhere. And like, sure, like uh, two fucks Jackson, right? She said fuck twice on air and it slowed down her career progression a little bit because networks don't want someone who's a risk of saying crazy shit on air. And especially now with like the abortion stuff and everything, like I think like if it wasn't for UVA, her career would be pretty close to done. Totally. And I I think part of that, part of that aspect where she, uh, it is implied that she's more or less as old as Alex, even if, there's about like seven or eight years difference between uh, Witherspoon and Aniston. But the idea is they are around the same age. Uh, first of all, it is strongly implied that her feastiness, like she's quite feisty. Feisty. Feisty, yes. Uh, traditional, me mispronouncing word, that's perfect. It's also Alex Levy. <laughs> oh, really? It yes. pronounced her last name? Yes. Okay, then, then at that part, I miss. Because written this way could be Levi. I'm in my defense, just but so as I was saying, thank you, Annick, for the pronunci- pronunciation cues. Uh, but uh, yes, Bradley is quite uh, feisty, and it is st- told by her that she lost a couple of jobs because of her decisiveness about like bringing up a lot of or not a, a lot of the issues she f- strongly feel personally. Uh, she wants authentic journalism and ethical journalism, and that is throughout uh, the story when she's more or less thrown into the mix that is TMS, right? She, because of her video going viral and she's brought in, then Corey is like, I need to shake this house, right? I need to make TMS better than it is right now, and then that's the best, amazing opportunity. By the way, this uh, Corey character, I want us to talk about it because Corey's wow. the best character. <laughs> Uh, yes, and I think the uh, act, the actor like Billy Kudrip won the first award for the show about his uh, his performance in that show. I don't know. I don't pay attention to orchards. Uh I have <laughs> one last thing on uh, the Bradley Jackson character I want to bring up before we move on to the next thing, which is uh, a lot of the people who are basically commenting on her slow career progression are from big metro cities. Uh, so maybe this is less apparent to them. But the way regional news career growth usually works is that you tend to be promoted to a more visible metro area by the network. But Bradley is also sort of taking care of her family to some extent with her brother who's an addict and her mom who's complete fucking mess. Uh, so I'm not sure even if she was promoted in her job, if it meant she had to move to a more visible metro area, I'm not sure she would move in that scenario, even if she was offered that kind of job. So, like, to me, I'm willing to give the entire character of Bradley Jackson a benefit of the doubt, and I think people are being too harsh on it. And also, like, Reese Witherspoon killed it with this role, so I don't know what you're complaining oh, yeah. about. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> and, I know you, uh, and, and I know you're a big Witherspoon fan. Yes. But I do agree with you on that. Uh, last one I want to add is I feel people are projecting a bit of their own kind of, not insecurities, but their own thinking. Because we've seen that day in and day out where, let's say, the anchor woman, she's a bit like Alex, she's around close to 50 and her likeliness number or like a customer sat number are going down and then they bring the young 20 something uh anchor woman to replace her so the numbers goes back up like we've seen that playbook played in i'm sure your local news uh, the national news where you live like everybody have seen that so i feel there's a bit of that too that people are implying that oh something we've seen it's the same thing here but it might not be but mm-hmm. it's implying that 
True that. Do you want to talk about Corey Ellison? Because he's oh. dope as hell. <laughs> um, I would agree with that statement af- only after watching the 10 episodes. Because what's interesting about Corey Ellison's position in the storyline is, like we, like I said, he's an AB executive for the different division. He was in the entertainment division. He took over of news operation again. But you see throughout the episode that he's still, like, he's doing do- both jobs. He's, he's not just, like, okay, uh, entertainment division is doing well. Here's your replacement. Uh, go fix the news operation. Like, he's kind of doing uh, ADQ, right? So you go fix this department and fix that department. Um, but no, it's really like you are still continuing running the entertainment division. And then you see him be himself in those moments where he's, like, screening some movies that they maybe want to produce or diffuse or uh put on air and he's literally like the guy that is aware of what millionaires want and using the like all the fancy keywords we all talk of the same way like we're being woke and then we're talking about like a like pro-choice twitter and then like it literally sounds like if my dad would talk like this but he knows what he's talking at the same time <laughs> it's like crazy and I forgot the exact quote, but at the moment he's just saying like he's comparing like a pro-life Twitter and then a pro-choice uh, Twitter. And then Fred tells him, you sound an asshole, uh, like an asshole when you stuck like this. And he says, I know! And he's super <laughs> excited to be insulted. <laughs> Which is perfect. But there's, then there's those amazing moments. But then there's the old moments like, this guy wants to shake up TMS. Uh, he's in agreement that Alex kind of needs to go to and he's trying to get rid of her. That's why he's proposing that Bradley come. And then people will see they like more Bradley. So then it will be even easier to get rid of Alex. Uh, to go back to what I was saying. The typical strategy. But throughout. like, I, I feel that what's happening between Corey and Alex. Is a, an amazing game of chess. With public, like with PRs and politics in the business. So they move one piece after the other, and then they assume that the other character would do a move, but no, they, they, they do something completely different, and they start to learn to maybe work with each other, or grow with each other. Uh, not grow, no, I think I exaggerate, but they really kind of to work with each other. Uh, they still end up being feisty, uh, no, fighting with each other, excuse me, like, uh, I forgot which episode, I exaggerate. Where let me learn no 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 uh I have a summary of the episode so I don't forget which one but that's the one where Alex uh as uh so Alex has um uh, uh she has an event in her apartment yeah I think that's like episode five ish because yeah. it's sort of a turning point for them right she organized a fundraiser yes that's this it, it, you're correct it is episode five so she organized a fundraiser. And you see that they're still negotiating because uh, one point I forgot to mention is Alex's contract is not due, but they're negotiating maybe the next part of our contract. And now that happens. So one of the big points that she wants because of Mitch firing is she wants to have coast approval. And because they want to get rid of her, but they want to tell her that they want to get rid of her, um, they don't want to give her that. And that is a big moment where they kind of fight a bit at this uh, fundraiser. But they have an amazing moment where they just sing together on the piano because that's how they more or less get money from rich people is you put money, they, 
think the pianist will pay music if you pay a thousand dollars and then or if you come singing you can to come do karaoke with the pianist you need to pay more and blah 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 uh and that's more or less what happens amazing uh i forgot i think it was a broadway song but amazing i think it's les miserables oh yeah i think it was but it is kind of a not a romantic song, but kind of a, a more emotionally involved song in the musical uh between a male and a female uh character and they do it perfectly it's and one of my favorite moments of the show oh i i it isn't my top three for sure and, and you see that they're both kind of taken aback by i would i would i would dare to say the complicity of them in this moment they, they know they're playing each other um because of negotiation and all of that stuff because they want to show to each other who owns who controls everything uh, at tms but that's why they kind of like open to each other or uh, as we realize literally like clash because that's what end up happening with those two characters is they really clash and then they go not their own ways but they go with their own plan which is more or less the last episode uh but yeah you that's where you start to realize that while Corey had an idea of getting rid of her what alex is doing to try to save herself is also kind of showing to Corey that no no no, maybe alex in the end is worth saving because i think he said she still it's like i wanted to see fire and now i saw fire like i want to see passion in her and I thought she was getting bored at her job, and no, this is like lighting a, a fire under her, and that's what I wanted. That, that's the, of course, I am the worst at having this type of speak, but the way it is described by the character is just amazing. So I guess you should watch just for that. And to talk about like the uh, the way things are said in the show, like uh, the, the name of episode three is "Chaos is the New Cocaine." Which, first of all, oh, is, yes. is a fantastic quote. But second of all, like that, that pretty much describes what Alex is up to in like the the entire show. Really, is like trying to save her job. She is causing a ton of chaos, and it turns out that the chaos is actually giving results that are in line with what Corey wanted all along. So maybe it is actually beneficial for Corey to keep Alex along for the ride. And uh, yeah, it, it's it kind of just worked out for the best for both of them um what i love about Corey ellison as a character is that for the entire first half of the show i had no idea if i absolutely love this guy or if i absolutely fucking hated this guy i had no idea if he was good or bad and i agreed but he was so fascinating because he he was just like the greatest at being like an evil genius who might be a good genius it's like i don't know he he just has this way of speaking that is very resonant with how uh, not how i would like to be because i don't want to be like a kind of weird like <laughs> sometimes interpreted as a slimy asshole and sometimes just interpreted as a genius but like i don't know there's a certain thing about him which is fascinating and i absolutely love it there's just this element of like it's almost like being a little bit naughty or like a devilish or being a troublemaker. Yeah. That you see that the the guy is able to know what is going to make good TV or good film, and he has an eye for that, and he's a bit cocky about it. Plus, he also is an experienced like work politic mingler. If you see what I mean, he's able to make people change what they'll have to do so it works with what they want. He wants them to do so that his plan moves along. 
Uh, and he's good at reacting when people threw a wrench in his, in his plan and then, or threw a curveball. And then, oh, oh, like Alex is now like a, a wanting to control uh, everything. And then like, she's showing passion. I was not expecting her to do that. I was kind of like maybe expecting her to like kind of give up and then it will be easier for us to fire her. But no, like, and it brings more chaos. So you see that he's good at manage, not managing, but like playing this work politics game. And not only good, but experience and master of it. That I guess is a reason. That's the reason why he's an executive in that universe, right? Yeah. The other thing that sort of stands out is in the early couple episodes where he's meeting Bradley in like I don't remember if it's the lobby of a hotel or some other bar or whatever. Um, it's the bar at the hotel when he you, yeah. when he offers her the job. Yes, that's the yeah, bar yeah. at the hotel. So. The feeling I had going into that scene was, oh no, this is going to be like a sex pest scene, and we're going to find out that this guy is actually one of the sex pests in this company. Because you're just like fresh off the Mitch firing, right? So you're sort of thinking about that, and you're like, well, he can't be the only guy in this company, because come on, it's the entertainment industry. Like, it's almost like a forgive, a preconceived conclusion right that like most celebrities are going to turn out to be creeps by now because the rule just seems to be that judging by the last few years uh so you're expecting it's going to turn out very badly and just because of sort of like how you aren't sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy like you automatically assume oh no this is going to be a sex pest scene uh turns out wasn't the case at all uh but like i think the show is playing with that to try and get you to hate him and like i think the show is better for it because like you feel this up and down roller coaster of just like what the fuck is Corey Ellison <laughs> right and especially um the dynamics between him and Bradley so Bradley knows that she's where she's at mainly because of him like mm-hmm. mainly mainly because uh I want another character who I want to talk about Chip when she first met Chip who's the executive producer of the morning show they don't get along at all, right? She is, again, feisty and then tells him to more or less go fuck off. Uh, but then Corey's like, no, no, come on, come here. I'll manage this and I'll force him to get you and blah, blah, blah. And she starts to put a lot of uh, professional trust into Corey, which because she's literally outside of her hometown and like imply that she moved, like I said, from middle America to New York City, she spent the whole season in her in her hotel room. She hasn't moved, right? She's just there, more or less managing the shit show. Living and, the dream. Yeah, or living the dream, I guess. Uh, and you see a lot of, like, personal moments between her and Corey. Like, sometimes she confides in Corey because she's like, I cannot manage all of this shit. And every time he's like, oh, no, oh, no, he'll turn, like, Kessler on her. And nope, the guy's just like, oh, yeah, you're making a point. And he's just like, silently listening to her and watching her and then just like you can see the the hamster spinning in his head because he's processing <laughs> what she's saying and then like like you see what should be a good professional relationship right the guy yeah. even if it's like 3 a.m and they call which is not a good professional relationship if you need to talk with people at 3 a.m but hey they wake up at 3 a.m because of the morning show but yeah you see them no like you see our struggle, you process it, and it's like, yes, we're going, like, what you're suggesting, oh, no, we should do that, because here's one Z. Boom. Like, platonic. Mm-hmm. I hope that they won't make that evolve in season two, but I am a bit afraid 
that they are kind of putting the piece one after the other so it might maybe possibly go there i would be disappointed if we i don't know okay anything else on cory not on cory specifically no perfect uh let's move to another good character i want to discuss chip or charlie chip black who's the executive producer because i do have a bit of the same vibe with chip but he's the typical like he's like the uh he's as the producer everything that happens on the merch show is his fault <laughs> uh you see that the guy is overworked like this guy is just like literally like tired of being tired of being tired of being tired literally. wow how relatable he, I, I guess <laughs> and like he's overwhelmed by literally being the executive producer of excuse me of TMS but at the same time he wants to play this game of politics but he's not so great at it so uh he wants to uh maybe save his own ass because he knows like part of it, part of the series what happens is of course UBA wants to have an internal investigation because they kind of want to show clean end that it was only Mitch the bad apple Mitch did everything we didn't know uh nobody knew it was always under the cover blah 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 what we start to learn is you know what fred covered for him a lot of other people also covered for him chip is a good example um and even maybe uh, maybe even enabled him i would even dare to say uh i think the the way that he helped him to get anna on uh the uh, las vegas uh, shooting event um uh, was a bit because Chip was like, oh, yeah, you want this? I'll make sure that she is now the junior booker that she comes with us and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we'll discuss about Anna uh, later. But you kind of see that Chip also has his good moments and bad moments, and you don't know, but you see that he's the guy that is trying to navigate something that is bigger than him, and he's just like, I guess, more or less reacting and never being proactive compared to, as we said with Corey, which I, it seems he seems more of the... Like, I'm playing the politics, but I'm the uh, proactive person. Another thing that is uh, really clear is uh, Chip and Alex have a long history together. Uh, they've worked, uh, it, is, it is implied, I don't, it, I don't know if it is implied that they worked together before, but because it is strongly implied that Chip has been with the morning show, if not uh, as long or longer than uh, Alex and uh, Mitch were. So, like, they kind of have. They are kind of the tag team. Those three is as executive producer and the two co-hosts, and you kind of see that he was always kind of protecting Alex on a lot of that bullshit. Uh, but that now with a lot of that, he needs to protect himself. Should I be loyal to Alex? Should I not be loyal to Alex to protect my own ass? Is Alex will be will Alex be loyal to me? Uh, we realize at the end that not really, which it will cause him to be fired. Um, so again, strange character. Uh, compare again to Corey. I think I think the uh, his charm is not there. So you might have a tendency to say, "Man, he's a bad guy." But I, in the end, I end up being like, "No, no, this just guy. This guy is trying to do too much and being overwhelmed, and he's trying to play in the big leagues game of pol- work politics while not being good at it." And of course, and end up being played by the boss of his boss uh, because in the end, the internal investigation declares him not responsible but responsible of complicit yes 
of course, they, like Fred would just want him to be fired to protect his own self because we'll talk about why in a bit. Uh, but in the end, he's saying, "Hey, Mitch, was your responsibility? You didn't see that. Bye bye." And uh, that's where the big twist happens at the end. Unless you had anything to want to say about Chip or any other characters. Uh, well, I well, I want to shout out to Yanko and Claire, uh, oh, my homies. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> your homies, really? Yanko and I go way back to uh, Lost when he was <laughs> a character on that show as well. Uh, the actor Nestor Carbonell uh, played in Lost, and um, oh, really? Oh. Fuck, I can't remember what is. Uh, Richard Alpert was his name, and he looked exactly the same age then he as he does now. And wow. they they sort of used that in the show where he was sort of like this time traveling guy who always looked the same age. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, like it was really neat to see him back in the show. Uh, Claire is adorable. She's really cool. And like I, I found it really cool that she ended up being uh, Bradley's assistant because those two have a really good vibe together. Um, I think it's really interesting for the show to like sort of ask the question in the air like, where is the line between appropriate and inappropriate relationships in the workplace? Uh, and how does a big scandal, which draws extra attention to sexual harassment and misconduct issues, impact people who are unsure of that line in their own, um, in their own behavior? And what happens when both participants feel that lines aren't crossed, but others in the company find out and disagree? Um, and like the whole involvement of HR in that, which kind of destroyed the relationship in the end, which was really terrible. I don't. I wouldn't say that HR is the reason, but HR is the enactment of the public scrutiny that uh, Claire was feeling a bit ashamed of, mm-hmm. and that is, I guess, a first moment where she realized, "Oh shit!" Because she always swears, so that's appropriate. Like people are literally talking in my back, and I'm not able to deal with them. And that is fair to say to end the relationship because of that. Other people would just I don't give a fuck. I'll continue because I know it's safe. Uh, like I know it's like more of a sane relationship. I don't feel the imbalance of power. Like it's not because he's trying. The uh, Yanko was trying to take uh, abuse or take advantage of her uh, of our younger age because also like it is strongly directly said that he is older than her too. I really like when she turned the tables on him and she was like, what are you talking about? You have more power than me. Like, I'm the one with the rich parents. Like, I could destroy you if I wanted to. Like, <laughs> True. So that, that's funny. And and yeah, Claire is a, is a good character because like, she kind of, I think, not implied, but she's kind of, she has the vibes of like a, a young Bradley. Mm-hmm, definitely. Like, that's why I'm she will glad tell she's you what the she thinks assistant. about you. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's why they click together. Um... Which brings me, uh, before we go with the, to the big uh, end finale, I want to discuss about some of uh, some of the relationship that happened, uh, or maybe more quote unquote. Uh, we just dec- talked about uh, Yanko and Claire, which is the current. I think that's the one that in the like now timeline of this universe that happens throughout the show. Uh, of course, we also talk uh, one of the. Uh, uh, Chaos around Alex is her divorce with Jason. Um, again, throughout the season, it is implied that maybe something could have maybe possibly happened between Mitch and Alex. Not really ever confirmed. They, they do kiss when she goes meet him uh, after the fundraiser. 
but yeah we don't really know i know it is implied by it is kind of said by jason that yeah you know alex uh mitch didn't help in our uh in our uh like in all of our years as being a couple um and other the one that uh is part is i'd say part one of two of kind of this uh toxic culture at tms is uh, the relationship that Mitch and uh, Maya had. Uh, Maya was... Uh, no, she is a producer at TMS. Mia. Uh, Mia. My goodness, tonight. See? Great with names. Yes, great with names. So, uh, Mia, and she's a producer. She used to be... Uh, help, she used to help Mitch produce... She used to produce Mitch, excuse me. They got the kind of a relationship... And she did declare because uh, people are talking behind her back, and then she uh, literally yelled at them uh, because of that. And then she did say that, yeah, I kind of took advantage of me, but at the same time, I took advantage of him to get a promotion at work. And now she feels ashamed of this because she realized that, you know what, for her own personal belief, uh, even if he was a boss uh, and she was using him, uh, she was not comfortable with herself doing that, which is fair to say. Uh, and she's fighting that because she knows that our colleagues know that. And also we see a moment of uh, where I say that Chip was a bit complicit with Mitch's behavior is when we go in the, uh, the, the episode that returns back, we do see Mitch saying, hey, can you get rid of me on my team? Put it in Alex's team. And you know, you know what? Alex is going away soon. So like, we'll get rid of her and then that will clear out some tension that we have and then chip was like yeah yeah, yeah i'll make it happen and that's where you see that part uh and then you see that people getting a bit fucked over not a little bit getting fucked over uh by mitch behavior uh in the episode in the season uh there is i would say two direct victims uh of mitch there's the first uh accuser which is ashley brown she is she was an employee on uh, TMS. She's the one that got him fired. And she's also the one that will come in the show again, talk about what happened. Uh, she's interviewed by Bradley, which uh, she pushes her to with some of her uh, ethical journalism, which makes her reveal more, which causes more chaos and blah, blah, blah. And then we learn after um, at the uh, end of the season like episode 8 9 and 10 are quite intense remember when i had a small warning uh i don't know small. it was quite a big warning i would actually include episode 8 in the in the three episodes that are sort of like yeah eight, the nine, heavier and half of the show yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like 8 9 and 10 or like literally be careful because they are eight. uh two points i want to discuss first uh there's two episodes that are in sync with our real timeline which is uh, episode 6 and episode 8. Uh, because in episode 6, uh, TMS travels to California to cover the big crisis of California wildfires. Uh, and also in episode 8, which starts uh, our, our, which is the uh, going back in the past episode, um, it's uh, Mitch turning 50, and uh, they are forced while, it, while the TMS crew is organizing him a birthday party they're forced to quickly move to las vegas because anna with who's at that time a junior talent fetcher you can say bookie 
Yeah, bookkeep. Uh, that's not what. Her... Yes, she's a. Uh, she is a junior talent booker. That's what I was looking for. So she's. Uh, she needs to find people to put on air more or less for interviews. Uh, she looks at Twitter and then she's seeing about the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. So uh, TMS goes to Las Vegas to report it. And that's where the big punch of uh, the show starts is uh, you see that before the the move to Las Vegas, uh, kind of Mitch feels sorry about himself because he's 50 and getting old and he sees Anna that he finds quite cute. So he tries to put her in her team, uh, put her in his team uh, while they go to Las Vegas. So she's like, oh, wow, okay, like, that's nice. I'm getting a promotion or like I'm being tasked with... Uh, a new plan, a new project, so I need to perform. And let's be honest, like a shooting is hard to manage emotionally. And even for people that literally need to do a job, like need to keep a poker face, uh, I can imagine. And I think that part was quite well portrayed of like, you know, like those people are still human. Even if you want them to look like robots on TV, they're still human. And the the emotional toll of of reporting those events shows. And that's what you see with uh, Anna, uh, Alex, and Mitch, and that's what happens. Is Anna and Mitch, they were like more or less at night wandering on the Las Vegas Strip, and they just like more or less ran into each other, uh, and they start to talk about and and Mitch kind of giving her advice about how to process those art uh, reporting, and thing leads to another, and he's like, hey, we can continue the discussion. Do you want to come to my room? And then that's where he more or less like assault her. Uh, that's one of the big part. I would say like watch out don't look at this because that could be uh, quite dangerous for some people and that's where we realize that mitch is a huge asshole like a couple of like uh, hours ago or maybe like uh, 36 hours ago he was talking with chip to get rid of his previous girlfriend uh and now he's already like harassing another colleague like what the f like literally and then that completely erased the slight possibility that you know he was kind of like likable or like a, you, you have any comparison with his uh, uh, the office character like that goes completely out the window on top of that to uh to even raise the level even higher uh what happens when they come back from last Ve- the last vegas assignment is i think literally the first morning when they come back and they need to do a normal tms uh anna and mitch cross path in the office and he completely ignores her and you know like after the assault she's kind of a bit like did i did something wrong what happened she like completely froze and i I can imagine like that's normal reaction but the fact that mitch completely ignored her assuming nothing happened like like literally put her fire like she was literally like this guy is going to fucking die which is totally expected and she took all the courage she has to go see fred which don't forget she's still still at this point a junior ed booker which is like you and i like a minion in a big corporation and she takes all the courage that she has she goes knock and bang into the uba's president's office fred start to say like you know mitch literally raped me and before she's able to use the word rape fred is like no worries. What, what, what's your what's, what's your role? Oh yeah, you're junior ed booker. I heard you're going great job. Do you want to be ed booker? <laughs> it, it's so like, fucking weird that you would say that if you don't even know what her job is. 
especially because the guy doesn't know who she is. Like he's just like she's a number. Like she, like I said, she's a minion mm-hmm. part of the UBA corporation. She never, he never saw her ever, and but he knows Mitch. He knows what Mitch has done in the past. Mm-hmm. He knows that he, you know that he's prepared to tell her that because he had to do that in the past. And the fact that he's like, no, 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 don't, don't say a word. Like she, and I, th- this scene is like so emotional, but so also well kind of sequenced together that of course she will have difficulty to say, hey, Mitch Kessler raped me. Of course she will, like she will have like literally an emotional breakdown on the word rape. And the guy fucking knows it. And he's like, don't say a word. I know what you're going to say. And then talk about getting her a promotion. It's like really infuriating. Like literally, I, and I watched this episode. I was like literally about to destroy my fucking TV. Because A, it was well filmed. And B, we all know that that happens every day. Yeah. Literally every day. And that's what we learn is while Mitch is trying to defend himself, he said, oh, you know, I'm not the only one that uh, like got was not taken advantage of, but like profited from that. And literally he's implying that I raped a girl and because the company wanted to buy a silence, that how she profited? That's where you see like complete, utterly asshole. And that's where like you see how shaken like TMS as a whole is and how like this was ingrained part of that team and also part of even upper management, literally like the prison, the company. I was protecting him. And we all know why. Because the guy was making money for the network. So uh, all of this concludes into the last episode where Mitch is trying to get an interview because they interviewed uh, Ashley. And he was like, the guy is like, I want to tell my part of the story because I want to defend myself. Lol, lol, lol. Uh, and of course, Bradley is kind of like, what? Because he only reached out to Bradley to do that. And the whole idea is she wants to go with it. He tells her that Anna is her source to say, oh, she profited. And then we, uh, Bradley realizes that, like, Bradley, uh, Anna didn't, prof- didn't, like, it was not good for her. Like, that it was not something, like, on her own willingness compared to, let's say, even a bit Mia. Like, where she did say, yes, I, I feel ashamed. Like, I've done bad. But, like, it, it seemed that it was clear to her that, yes, she got a promotion because that's what she was looking for. Compared to Mia, she didn't want the promotion. She just like, she found her boss likable and the guy was giving her advice and she's new. So of course I'll take the advice. Who wouldn't? And then somebody take advantage of her. It's like, Poof. so, uh, when, uh, when Bradley asks her question because she wants to protect herself too, right? Like this rapist guy is trying to defend himself. I don't want to lose my career with him too. She didn't realize that like, Anna is having big PTSD of the event. She's not able to answer the questions. She wants to be left alone. And then the other big, the other big uh, dark event. And what we learned is she, because of reliving all of that, is she committed suicide. She overdosed. And that is like, oh my fucking god! There, like, a lot of, of big emotion in the last episode, bumping on the pressure on top of this. Uh, and all of this is to say is the episode ends with like more or less Bradley and Alex fighting but in the end you realize that Alex leaves her I guess her angst against Bradley and she does more or less the right thing which is hey Bradley was about to have an interview and again more or less kind of like show that there's like something wrong in the culture at TMS that is enabling people like Mitch 
uh, I don't want Mitch to be around to and I let her do that. But at the same time, like it's better for me to let her do that, or and even she's not able to do it because of the suicide of a colleague. She still decides to do it because she's so shook by that event that she just decided to do it, and then they do it together, and then the feed cut, and that's how the season ends. And that ending is like lots of emotion, and then you're like, oh my god, they did the right thing, and then boom, of course, the the, the UBA network is like, oh my goodness, we won't let do the right thing. So the cliffhanger of like what's going to happen because both of them did that uh is going to be interesting now that chip got fired that Corey was aware and kind of more or less letting them do that on air um season two is going to be interesting and we all know that was one of the rare apple tv shows that was renewed that no excuse that apple bought two seasons so there was no like the like we shoot it, it's not even out, and we renew it. Uh, they, we already knew that TMS will have two seasons, and uh, season two is being filmed as we speak. I think it's supposed to end uh, in February, so I wouldn't be surprised that uh, in November 2020, that's where we will see season two, and I'm so excited for it because, as a whole, like in the end, literally the show was just like, wow, it was impressive. I may end up regretting this. Um... Oh. But I think the show would be more powerful if there wasn't a second season of it. Because the ending was so powerful that if the second season turns out to be shitty, it actually ends up downgrading the quality of the first season. And Mm. I would rather it just be a first season and left at that than have a second season where they could potentially fuck it up. That said, I'm still going to be watching it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) There's no point in saying anything else, but... I am worried that like the impact of the ending of the first season will be lessened by the fact that there's a second season if it turns out to be not so great. That's a fair take. I I would say so because like it's not really clear, but like I would say the TMS season 1 is like over a couple of days, like maybe like at most a month. So there's a lot of drama happening in a month. But that that amount of drama happening in one month cannot happen every month of the year. Right? No. Um, so, and of course, like drama films or TV shows imply that there's always drama. Mm-hmm. So that would, I couldn't understand that you could say that's going to be weird, but I'm eager to see what they'll do. And it's like, you, you can't, like, I don't know if the second season was like, we're going to take another issue or another facet of this business and take an, an analytical look at that. Like, The Wire was kind of like that, where um, I don't actually remember which seasons of the wire map to which industries um but like at a certain point like the wire is about police and then it turns to being about the prison system and then it turns to being about the press and then it turns to being about education and it's fundamentally the same show taking place in the same world but they're analyzing different systems in that world i don't know that's kind of a prestige drama thing to do uh so i could see the morning show kind of going into that direction for a season two i'm but it's like you can't have another show about like oh no another person on the staff did a sexual misconduct thing let's have a repeat of the last season except with a different person instead this time it's like you can't really go with that and i don't know what the angle is considering that so much of the show is focused on like sexual misconduct and how it its repercussions sort of reverberate throughout the organization and I don't know how you make a second season of that that doesn't feel repetitive and 
boring. I guess we'll see. I have like a closing statement before we move on to talking about Apple TV more globally. Okay, for sure. I found like one big overarching theme about this entire show. And that is that the show is super interested in trying to find like the borderline of a given thing. Uh, when we're talking about Mitch and uh, Dick Lundry, it's the borderline of what is or isn't considered to be like sexual harassment or sexual assault. Um, like you were talking earlier about like Dick Lundry and Mitch Kessler, they were arguing about who was worse. Like I think personally from what I've seen of both, like Dick Lundry's actions are worse than Mitch's, but they're above a certain threshold to which like it doesn't really matter who's worse because they're both bad, right? right uh, and finding both above the line. Who cares? Right. Totally. Exactly. Which is like in an interesting discussion of that borderline thing. Then there's the borderline of what makes an appropriate and appropriate workplace romance with Yank and Claire, borderline of what is and isn't complicity. Uh and by presenting all of these like ethical scenarios to the viewer, it makes them contemplate on where these borderlines have presented themselves in their own lives, lives and what side they found themselves on during those issues. And this is precisely what you want from this kind of like woke show. Uh, and like I mentioned at the er- earlier in the show, unfortunately, the people you want to impact the most by having this kind of show aren't going to watch it. And that is a bummer. Uh, like I think there might be more people watching it just because of the fact that it's like the flagship Apple TV plus show. And there are a lot of people who are just interested in Apple and regardless of politics, they will watch the show. And I don't know if they'll follow it to the end or they'll just say, this is some work bullshit and (laughs) leave after three episodes. Um, but it did what it was trying to do incredibly well. Uh, and the, the problem is that the people who need to see it aren't going to be interested in watching it. It's too bad. But it was executed incredibly well. Uh, I don't know what the deal with the mixed reviews kind of are. Like, I, I think if I had to sort of give my opinion about the show, it's that it is a very by-the-book prestige drama. I think it fits the formula of a prestige drama like you find on an HBO or a, a high-end Netflix show. It's... Like, I can see the formula elements, and I don't watch very much TV, which is why it surprised me that I sort of picked up on the little things. Um, but if you don't mind that it is somewhat formulaic, it actually is executed very well, as even though it's part of that formula, if it makes sense. No, I, I think it does. And that could be why maybe critics were more harsh than, I guess, the. Because they People. watch a lot of this shit. <laughs> yes, yes. The, uh, the last big prestige drama I've watched was Mad Men when that was on the air. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. So after that, I sort of stopped watching TV. So that tells you how little TV I've seen in the last decade or so. Um, right. But, but yeah. I, I do have a funny uh, trivia regarding uh, you like watching real TV and such. I, I like One of the big things why this show is big is because it is, quote-unquote, Aniston's big return to TV, right? Because yes. since 2004, which was the end of Friends, she hasn't done do too much TV. She hasn't though, done TV. Yeah, she hasn't done TV. Though, though, I like to mention that she did TV at the same time as uh, Friends because she starred in a 60 minutes promotional video with Matthew Perry about Windows 95. When oh, I'll I never found forget. That, when I found that during my research, I was like, oh my god. 
it's supposedly a video, a promotional video about 95. They go visit Microsoft and Redmond. They meet with uh, Bill Gates. They want to promote. I seen. I, I read an article from the New York Times about it, which I will include in the show notes. And yeah, I wish uh, they had a video of it. I'm sure I should have Googled it on, uh, found it maybe on YouTube, but uh, that just the, the image in the New York Times article is crazy because it's a VHS and it's a picture of uh, Aniston and Perry in their like kind of like friends look, more yes. or less. They're just playing, they're not playing characters, but they're like in the friends posture. Uh, so it's <laughs> in the friends fun. posture. Amazing. Uh, yeah, no, but like if you look at the image, you'll see like they literally look like it's a <laughs> promo image of those two, but for friends. But for Windows. While we're on the topic of trivia, uh, one other thing that came out during the press tour for uh, the morning show was that Reese Witherspoon was, for one episode of Friends, Rachel's sister. And then she couldn't handle it. And she got swapped out with another actress for... um, Basically, she she couldn't deal with the live studio audience. And then later, they actually swapped her out for another actress. So that was interesting. Uh, And the other thing, which is completely unrelated to what we're talking about, is that the actress who plays Hannah, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, I think that's how you pronounce her name. I'm not quite sure. Uh, She's an English actress. Okay. And? Oh, well, it's like the, the Hugh Laurie thing where, like, doesn't have an accent how the fuck was i supposed to know uh, so i was just surprised uh, by that uh, okay yeah, yeah yeah those damn brits infiltrating us with our no <laughs> accent lifestyle uh, yeah, 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 yeah. uh last but not least uh i think uh, i was recently i was watching from one of my favorite sports during the weekend is watch trailers and not really watch a movie when i was afraid you were actually going to watch sports that would have been no. terrifying no, no, no. But like Tony and I were like, oh, we'll watch something tonight. And then literally we'll just watch trailers. And I was like, hey, recently I've seen uh, Mark Duplass in kind of a TMS-like setting. And I was like, what? Where did I do that? And after a couple of Googling, uh, it is because I've seen him in Bombshell, which is a movie that just got out recently. And it's, uh, I guess, biopic or like kind of romanticized uh, recounting of the stories of women exposing Fox News Roger Isle. Oh man. Oh wow. Okay. Yes. So uh, that's why I was like that from the trailer when I seen him and he seems to have a lesser role compared to his role with Chip uh, because it seems that this movie uh, centers around the woman that they really exposed uh, Roger Isle and they are big names. I forgot their name but uh, it is uh Oh wait, Sh- Charlize Theron, I guess. That's Nicole the Kidd. actress. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's the. I'm talking about the actress. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure that I, I pronounce her name correctly, since I'm really bad at that tonight. Yes, Charlize uh, Theron. Perfect. Uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Margot Margot Robbie are the. Oh, three, I like her. Uh, three women in Bombshell, um, and I think uh, Mark Duplass uh, is playing one of their husbands. Uh, but that's why I was like, kind of like seeing this trailers, which is kind of like set in another news network, uh, TV network, uh, which was quite funny to me. Good. So that is mainly it for TMS. Uh, Yannick and I want to quickly discuss about some of the other uh, Apple TV Plus shows. Uh, so they won't have any uh, non-spoiler section. Uh, I guess there will be kind of a spoiler, spoiler, like a we won't make a clear distinction as what we did with TMS because it's going to be maybe like uh, just a random thoughts. I ha- I've literally watched like one or two episodes of these shows, so it's not gonna matter really. 
So I'll start with the first one, uh, For All Mankind. Yep, I watched an episode of it. Uh, so when Apple TV Plus started, there was mainly four shows that would uh, release in November. Uh, the Morning Show, For All Mankind, Dickinson, and C. But C and Dickinson. Dickinson. Snoopy in space! There was a couple of other things, but the big <laughs> things that were, uh, the three big things were uh, TMS, For All Mankind, and C. Uh, then Dickinson started to uh, really resonate on Twitter and social network. Especially Instagram. Yes, and there's a reason why. Uh, well, multiple reasons, but there's a big one. And then the, we saw in early December the new, other sh- the new other shows, but that are the main ones. Like I said uh, earlier in this episode, I haven't watched she. Not typically my type of TV shows, like kind of this kind of a Game of Thrones, Lord of the Ring e type of deals. It's not. Um, I don't think it's actually like either of the shows at all, but it just doesn't look like something we'd be interested in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have no opinion. Uh, for all mankind. I'm again, like Yannick said to me privately, I'm not typically a space person. Uh, especially I'm not even a sci-fi person too much. Uh, but you know, like that is to me the typical, like, oh, it's on Apple TV Plus. I'll give it a try. That's pretty much why I watched the first episode too. <laughs> yes. And while it was good for Apple to kind of do the Netflix, non Netflix thing. So you cannot binge watch, but we give you the three first episodes. Uh, for all mankind, in my personal opinion, if you're not a space nerd or people that like space uh, space TV shows or films, uh, it is important that you stick with the first three episodes before making up your mind. I know people say say that a lot about TV shows. Uh, this is a good example of don't really know where they want to go, but they were know where they want to go. The setting for this is the Russians goes to the moon first. Uh, and of course, the Americans are pissed and try to beat them. And I guess the this alternate universe is literally because the Russian were uh, goes on the moon first. The American cannot accept defeat, so they try to beat them and something else. Um, and in the first three episodes, uh, they more or less uh, get beaten as first men on the moon. Then they go first woman on the moon, and. That kind of sounds quite strange, but if you recall correctly, and if I recall my space history correctly, no woman ever went on the moon still to this date. So uh, this is literally kind of building a universe para- uh, alternate universe. And of course, because of that, uh, the Americans, they want to have a space program that now includes women. And that's kind of the emphasis of what they need to do uh, to beat the uh, Russians. And literally after episode three, that's I feel that's where the hook starts of like a change like this. How can it affect our own like timeline in in our life and uh, in fact our own society? Uh, the fact that let's say you have women as astronauts did help some stuff, but it is still the 60s and 70s, so people are still thinking stupidly even more about the role of men and women in society. Even if uh, women can now go, like, be astronauts, which I think to this date, being an astronaut is quite cool. And then even in society, people, like, find it quite cool. And they're, like, astronauts are not rock star, but they're kind of, like, stars in their own way. And I'm 
I'm trying to make a cheesy comparison because stars and stars, but like they're like popular people because of their cool job, more or less, or their special job. And of course, the TV show implies that a change like this can affect society differently, whether it's good or bad, but that maybe some social changes that did happen in our timeline will happen earlier. Plus, on top of that, uh, uh, plus on top of that, excuse me, the continuation of the space race, which, as you may know, if you've been born in the last 70 years, that uh, the space race kind of stopped, came back with the space shuttle, but not even, and it's kind of like moot right now. It's more or less like corporations are in the space, not governments. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would strongly suggest that you stick with the three first episodes and then even the fourth one and then make your decision if it is a show for you or not, because I feel the hook came at, at episode three and four. And that's why in the end, Tony and I really enjoy it. Um, a lot of people said that for them, the one of the first original show, like the best one is for all mankind. I can understand why. Uh, but I still have a special place in my heart for TMS. Uh, though, uh, from what I've seen with Tony, like uh, he was really hooked on for all mankind after the like after the first few shows he was like it's boring uh but do parts with it he got hooked to it and like it more than uh tms anything else you want to talk about uh for all mankind no i really didn't like the first episode and i'm not going to watch two more episodes of that because i'm probably going to be bored to death okay let's say you're at home for an afternoon and you really want to do something different i strongly suggest that you maybe try to power through a couple more episodes. Uh, well, but like I said, my internet would have to stay up for longer than five to eight minutes for that to yes. work. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So then uh, let's move to Dickinson. Yes, I, great I show. Really, yes, I really, really want you to uh, talk about your opinion. But before you do that, uh, I just want to give a small premise. So Dickinson is kind of, uh, it is a show based on or romanticized about the life of Emily Dickinson who was a pot in the late 1800s, but as being a woman, she was not able to publish, and uh, our poets were, uh, our poems, excuse me, were discovered, uh, I think, a couple of years after she died, and we, like, people realized that she had literally, I think, a couple of thousands of poems, uh, and they more or less assume or define, um, define, a life or inspire a life around her poems and uh where the show starts simile is about like 16 17 and the show revolves uh, around her um oh, now i didn't write the names but uh her her brother her best friend slash lover uh sue sue thank you uh that's and the only the, name i remember <laughs> yes and other characters uh and her life in literally uh thing close to no it's in maine in literally the nine eighteen. isn't it massachusetts something. oh yes it is i wasn't sure if it was maine or uh, around boston but yeah, i think you're correct it is uh it amherst is, massachusetts it is amherst yes and one of the really funny things it is it is a teen drama so of, like it is Assume turn on your turn on your brain that is a teen drama, so it's not too dramatic as what we discussed with TMS, but uh, it is a teen drama, 
and the fun element to it is um, it is set in the old times, but the music around it is completely modern. Completely, <laughs> completely modern. The type of music you would expect if you were doing a theme drama about teens today, yeah, it would be the same music. Uh, Ailey Steinfeld? Oh my fucking god, she's amazing in this. Like, amazing. Uh, I haven't watched Tony watch uh, our, like kind of the spin-off she did of Transformer. I know, hear me out here. Uh, she did a movie called Bumblebee, and Tony was like, you know what? She was quite good on this, too. Never heard of it. Uh, me neither, but Tony bought it. It was cheap on iTunes, and he says, yeah, I should watch it, so I haven't done that yet. But uh, movie, Tony said it was good, but she was great. And literally, uh, Ailey Steinfeld on this is it's perfect. Like, um, she's weird. She's eccentric. Like, I'm, like, Emily Dickinson, from the stories we have of her, uh, she, um, she was quite the character, but, uh, I think, um, the, the portrayal they decided to do was, uh, a bit more eccentric. Like, I think, uh, the original or the real, uh, Emily Dickinson was a bit more reserved. Uh, it is also implied that she spent part of her life like just like in her own room doing nothing uh and literally like being uh isolated of the world like all good geniuses (laughs) i guess i guess yes uh so maybe that's the aspect that is less like real the real emily dickinson but uh it is a good uh, teen drama and uh it has like i said it is implied throughout uh, her life that she uh she had a relationship with her best friend Sue, and you can imagine uh, gay and lesbian relationship in the 1800s were like no good, no, 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 no good. I was trying to look up the history about that yesterday, actually, while I was watching the show, because I can't tell if that was true or if that was something they pushed for the show. I think they maybe pushed it a bit more, but I did read a lot on Wikipedia, of course, Wikipedia, uh, and it, it is it's always pl- true. Yes. Uh, they did mention that there was some uh, writings about her and uh, a lot of the poems she wrote were implied to be about Sue too. So we never really know something happened. She did, like Sue did really married Austin, mm-hmm. which is uh, Emily's brother. Wikipedia says, though their marriage was not an happy one. So that's Yeah, fun. I remember seeing that last night. <laughs> So yes, and that is kind of uh, shown in uh, shown in the movie, uh, not the movie, in the series. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I think it is maybe more exaggerated our relationship with Sue in uh, in the TV shows. They're a cute couple on the TV shows. That's very so cute. nice. Oh my goodness! Um, but yeah, I think there's they they kind of took uh, part of some truth reported by people and then kind of extrapolated more or less a teen drama show um i think it's 10 12 episodes 30 minutes each super fast paced like uh not it is not super it is fast paced see i think it was weird that it was like 37 minutes instead of like 24 minutes i feel like the editing could have been a little bit tighter and the episodes could have been a little bit shorter and it would have worked better okay uh but I, again, I've only seen two episodes, so like whatever. I, maybe yeah. I'm talking shit again. <laughs> you might be, but uh, to be honest, every time I finish an episode, I wanted to like uh, start the next one. Tony watched it uh, on his own, uh, maybe half of it, and it's like, we, you need to watch this. 
And yeah, I, I will be... definitely finish this show, uh, contrary to uh, For All Mankind, where like I was just bored the whole time. This is like, hmm, it, it, it kind of shares values with the weird Yashike anime that I watch, where it's really more about like following the mundaneness of everyday life for these weird people uh for for this weird person and the normals around her who are just weird uh and of course like all the weird hallucination stuff like when she goes on a carriage with death who was yeah. guest star Wiz Khalifa who f- fucking looked amazing uh, <laughs> th- that was the best death i've ever seen in a tv and show it'll ever be back. it'll be back like i, I can imagine part of the tv series yeah too um that was one of the original show that was released as a whole, like, on day one in November. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Me too. Uh, mainly because, oh my goodness, you'll, like, I went through this show, like, in two days. Not even. Uh, I hope that, I think it was renewed for a second season. I, I don't, don't remember. Uh, I don't know if they have more content on this, but compared to where you feel that you wanted more, like, a tighter uh, editing, like, I wish there was one-hour episodes because I really enjoyed and I was sad when the episode ended and I need to uh, maybe go do something else uh, because I really enjoyed the characters there, especially Emily. Emily. Uh, but the relationship between her, Sue, and her, uh, her brother, Austin, uh, is quite interesting because you kind of start to get that... Uh, there's not maybe not friendship between uh, Sue and his maybe wife, uh, 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 no, Emily, and his soon-to-be wife uh, Sue. So yeah, and of course he goes into more asshole mode, like a men's are better than women uh, because of that, and that's bad, and of course that representative of the times. But still, uh, there's good moments between all of them and other people. Uh, I think one of the best uh, episodes, and I'm sorry, I'll spoil it to you, but they do have, uh, like, literally a teenager party. Yeah, well, they have this, um, I think it's like Meet Dickinson or whatever. It's like a two minute, like, little interview with the showrunners and everything about it, and they show that scene on it. So I, I've ah, already okay. seen it, but yeah. Okay, yes, but when they have a teenager party, literally at the house <laughs> because the parents are gone, um, that's great. Last comment about Dickinson, and then we can wrap it up. Uh, uh, the mom in the show. Uh, I forgot the name of the actress playing Jane it. Krasinski. I think. Yes, I she was think. in Thirty Rock and in uh, what's her, what's the show? She was in uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. I uh, Tony and I love her so much. I forgot what I. She's recently. so good at her. Like she has her own kinds of roles. It's kind of like Steve Carell, where it's always the same role over again. It's like she has her like niche roles on there and it doesn't matter what decade she's in it's just gonna work right and she's playing the perfect housewife uh, yeah you can imagine here she's like her goal in life was to be married with the man that can bring her a lot of shit but then she'll be the best uh, housewife and she has a kind of a humor uh into it and you'll see there's going to be a suffragette joke later in the episode uh, in the season and how she reacts to that, she's it's just like crazy funny. Um, so she's an amazing character. Like she's my number two character. I mean, he's first. Uh, er is second in that show because she's just like literally crazy, uh, but crazy funny at the same time. But and that's mainly it. So again, uh, I would say 
personally that Apple has been quite successful at launching their uh, TV streaming service with their current offering. I haven't started to watch some of the new addition that they've added in the past two months, so in December and in January. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be tempted with the kind of the podcast serial, serial, not serial TV show. Uh, that is kind of the big one that was released in January. Truth uh, be told. But then, yes, truth be told. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but since I haven't listened to serial and it's kind of this kind of type of like we repeat, like we try to solve a crime and solve a crime and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not sure if I will be interested by it. Uh, I think my mom has the... told me that it's quite good, but um, okay. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, there's the Ubisoft MMO thing that is coming soon. True. And there's the uh, Night Shaman uh, TV show. Yeah. yeah, that is a kind of... I forgot that is... This one looks really weird. I'm it's thinking kind of... of the word stranger, but it's not that. It's some no. other word with about that many letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an S word, I agree. Uh, but yeah, so uh, again, uh, Night Shaman? Shaman. Uh, Shaman, see? Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so there's that. And uh, that's what I've heard. So we'll see. But uh, at least for now, it's a good start. Um, hopefully, we'll have more. But I would expect maybe that literally, like, I love like three shows out of the four ones, the four big ones at the beginning. To me, that's a good ratio for. Not a year, but like even in Netflix these days, I maybe like follow every year like like an handful of shows. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, it is a good win because I do that on Netflix. Though on Netflix, we end up watching a lot of like movies and other stuff. So that's why maybe the balance is still on the Netflix part. But what I've realized too is the price is quite cheap. Once I will end up paying for Apple TV Plus, it's going to be $60 per year which is quite cheap, uh, knowing that I just paid like $90 for Disney Plus for a year, uh, and then Netflix is even more expensive. Uh, so I feel that the value is still there, and then we have a year to see uh, what they'll bring up. So imagine they had, every, they had a couple of shows every month, like they've been doing for the last two months. Then they start uh, rerunning some shows uh, starting next November. I, th- I think they'll end up with a big uh, catalog of originals. Uh, in a year for now. To be continued, I guess. Yes. All right. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 128. You can also find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find Ducadivier at Luconos. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-E-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.